economic ladder, something that's not very often associated with people who owe, who own political views similar to my own or not associated with our views. But if you would like, if you're interested in um, a good introduction to libertarian views for poverty reduction, I think that that's the role my book fulfills. That's why it was written, to show that, um, you know, there's more than one way to skin a cat, although I am a vegetarian, so please don't go skinning any cats. And um, it's a great pleasure to be on the, ser uh, on the serfs. Ben invited me to debate him after hearing my debate with Richard Wolf and a lot of people sort of on the left um, found me because I've been known to debate a few people. I've not done tons and tons of debates, but there is a playlist on YouTube called Anthony Samroff Debates. And even though I'm a peace-loving guy who doesn't love to get my jukes up, uh, it seems that people people like my way of debating. And so that's something that I am... Um, that I've been, I've got some praise for. So uh, I hope we'll have a good one today uh, again. And yeah, now you know where to find me. Yeah. I, I ben, over to you. <laughs> All right. Uh, my name is Ben Burgess. I wrote a book called Give Them an Argument, Logic for the Left. Um, and I'm also a uh, co-author, along with Matt McManus, uh, Marion Trejo, and Conrad Hamilton, uh, of a book called Myth and Mayhem, a leftist critique of Jordan Peterson. Um, when both of those are available from uh, Zero Books. Uh, and I, um, I write a weekly column for uh, Jacobin uh, Magazine, uh, and uh, I do a regular segment uh, on the Michael Brooks show called The Debunk, um, and, uh, and I'm now co-hosting a podcast called The Dead Pundit Society. Um, and if, uh, if all of that isn't enough and you're, you're such a you know, glutton for this that, uh, that you want more, uh, I also do a, <laughs> uh, uh, a, a Patreon where you can get uh, original essays uh, short essays a, uh, a couple times a week. Um, and uh, we've also been doing regular um, Discord office hours uh, voice chats on there. When are you going to platform me, Ben, and put me, me on uh, the Den Pundit right. Society? I don't know. What are you doing next week? Oh, uh, going on the Den Pundit Society. All right. It's a plan. Oh, nice. be, uh, cool. I think there's some stuff in the... Um, I think there are a couple episodes in the can, so I'm not sure when it comes out, but we can, we can absolutely have that interview anytime you want. Awesome. Um, I'm like 99% set up. I guess I should just quickly ask, uh, Do we have we agreed upon the format? Is it going to be a five-minute, five-minute rebuttals kind of traditional, or are you going... Cause... Uh, yeah, so we did talk through, I think maybe some of them... Uh, one of the other of us might have forgot to hit reply all, so I'm just going to call up the email real quick. Uh, where we... I think we agreed on 10-minute statements, and the reason for that is uh, me basically saying that I need to expound my argument fully, because I don't know um, I mm -hmm. don't know how to give an account of complex uh, concepts in a simple way, and I feel like this is one that needs kind of unpacking. 
Yeah, so I'm just I'm just trying to find. We had a email where we agreed on all the time. It was definitely going to be ten minute opening statements. Hold on, just a second. I'm I'm happy to be relatively loose with the format. I'm not sure about you guys, but like like we're adults here, and I think that we can kind of self moderate. Like uh, I don't know about you, Ben, yeah. but like, uh, so you're, you're basically saying I'm redundant. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> oh, <laughs> You might need to step in if someone's uh, mischaracterizing someone else's p- position or grandstanding. Yeah, so, so, uh, so I do um, – so, so I think that the format we agreed to, I've got the email now. What I like about it is that it does have, it does have like an unstructured you know, chunk in the middle so we can have a little bit more of that direct back and forth. Uh, but but it but it still has the timed opening statements, rebuttals, and and closing statements, which I like for uh, for a couple reasons, right? Like uh, I mean, I saw your debate with Wolf; you'd seem like an extremely friendly guy. I'm not worried about that, right? But uh, but um, but I I like it because one, I just kind of like you know having um, having like clearly like like having that time to develop arguments in the first part. Of course. And I also yes. like, um, and I also like having like a sort of clear time when we start a clear time when we're wrapping up, right. You know, all of, all of that stuff, because that way it's, um, there's, uh, you know, like, like I've, I've, I've seen a lot of, and I've been in a lot of you, right. Uh, you know, YouTube debates that sort of drag on until, you know, one person or the other decides that like they're going to like throw in the towel, and you know, and it's and it's it's. Right. I, I don't I don't know. I I I think this is just uh, this is just a better format. But here, let's just real quickly go through what we said in the email. If we if we want to adjust or loosen any of it, that's fine with me. But here's what we said in the original exchange. Uh, there'd be well, the first part is the intros. I guess we've already done that. We've already done that. Yeah, the ten minute opening statements, two round of five minute rebuttals, twenty minutes of unstructured back and forth, and then two rounds of five minute closing statements for yep. a total of ten minutes. That's that still sounds pretty good to me. Yeah. Okay. Alrighty. Okay, so uh, I guess I'll start out right now. Uh, hello, everyone, and welcome to uh, the special edition of Early Morning Wednesday Debate. We have Anthony uh, Samaroff and Ben Burgess facing off on the topic of Does Capitalism Exploit Workers? Uh, gentlemen, uh, you've already done your introductions, so we're going to start with a 10-minute opening arguments on both sides. I'll be doing the timer. I'll give you guys a 30-second warning when you're getting close to the time being over. Uh, who would like to start? I think I was going to start because... Um because I'm saying yes, and I think Anthony wanted to see how uh, I. Anthony, just FYI, I didn't hear a sound just now. I just said that was oh. me as well. I volunteered Ben to go first. Alrighty, <laughs> so uh, Ben, you got ten minutes on the clock, starting now. Sure. Um. So, uh, first of all, uh, Anthony, thank you for uh, for doing this. Uh, I. You know, as I said, I, I saw the debate you did last year with uh, with Richard Wolf, uh, and and you struck me as one of the more thoughtful presentations I've, I've seen of, of the libertarian uh, critique of this idea, right? That capitalism exploits workers, which is obviously pretty foundational to uh, to my political worldview, um, both in terms of kind of immediate uh, pushes for for the sort of reforms. 
uh, that that someone like me would like to see, which uh, which would, in my view, reduce the rate at which capitalism uh, exploits workers, right? By having uh, less um, you know less money going into the profits of 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 capitalists, right? Of business owners, uh, and more either being kept in workers' wages uh, or in in one form or another, you know, being used to uh, meet the needs of ordinary working class people. Uh, and in uh, and in the long run, right? I, I don't think I'm breaking any ground here, or shocking anybody when I say that uh, I would rather just not have capitalism entirely, right? You know, I, I think I think we would be better off with uh, with socialism, uh, in which um, you know, in which the means of production, distribution, and exchange uh, were in the hands of workers in you know larger communities. Uh, so you no longer had this distinction between a class of people who own businesses, capitalists, and a second class of people who have no realistic option uh, except for to go to work uh, for uh, the uh, for the first class, right? So that's that you know that sort of fundamental division of society uh, is is the main thing I object to. Uh, about capitalism, right? Just as when, if we're talking about previous social systems like feudalism or chattel slavery, I would object to the uh, division of society, you know, between slaves and masters or between uh, lords and serfs, um, you know, landowners and peasants, uh, you know, because in all cases, I would say that um, that people in, um, that, that there isn't an intrinsic justification for some people having some of these roles and other people's uh, having others. And of course the transition from, for example, capitalism to feudalism is certainly, uh, certainly a move in the right direction uh, from, from my perspective that, you know, that you can, that you're not bound to land that, you know, that you can't, uh, can't legally leave, for example, that's, that's a, that's, that's a positive, right. That's an increase in human freedom. Uh, but I think you still have from my perspective, this fundamental problem in terms of human freedom, uh, which is that most people, uh, most of the time, right, have no realistic option, as I said, except for to rent out their labor uh, power to uh, to the owners of the means of production, distribution, and exchange, meaning that for at least on weekdays right now, thanks to the labor movement and the effort of socialists, we have a weekend. Uh, but at least during weekdays, you know, eight of the 16 hours that you're awake, uh, are are not yours and and uh, they're not being regulated by anybody who's democratically accountable to you. Uh, you have to obey the orders of a unelected uh, boss because of this structural difference. And then uh, the the goods or services that you produce, um, the proceeds uh, from from their sales, uh, you and your fellow workers don't get to decide what to do with them. Um, as in a, a worker co-op, uh, you don't even get to decide um, as a member of a larger chunk of society, like a city or a state or a country, uh, what to do with them. Uh, instead, somebody who due to this structural position that they have um, as, the, as the owner of the business gets to decide how it's divided up, right? What goes to you uh, in, the form of, uh, in the form of wages? Uh, what goes into uh, development, right? You know, of of you know, building future factories, etc. Which would, of course, happen, you know, even under uh, democratic socialism. And then what they just keep for themselves uh, in the form of profits. 
And that's where uh, and that's where exploitation comes in. I suspect as the debate goes on, uh, we can we can refine and talk about your objections to that term a little bit. But just to be just to be really clear as a as our starting point, uh, when I say uh, exploitation, right, that there's a way of using it just to sort of mean anything that's like an unfair way of treating people, right? Which is of course. Um, a larger conceptual category that the kind of ex, uh, economic exploitation that I'm talking about falls into, um, but um, you know, but in this case, we're talking about something fairly specific, and I think we can give a more fine-grained definition than just uh, treating people uh, treating people unfairly. And also keep in mind that we're talking about a structural critique of a way of organizing society, not a moral critique uh, of individual behavior within that, right? You know, that if you own a corner coffee shop, you're a terrible, you know, you have employees, you're a terrible person. I don't necessarily think that anymore than I think that, you know, back when we had the doctrine of coverture for marriage, uh, so the, you know, the wife's um, legal, many of the wife's legal rights automatically went to the husband. I don't necessarily think that every person who was a dude and who was married under that system was a terrible person. I think it's an unjust social institution. And that's the same distinction uh, that I would make in the case of capitalism and economic exploitation. That even if you have a, a union in place, the workplace, which is fantastic, it's a huge step in the right direction, um, that still brings you to a case of like, at best, like the equivalent for power distribution of the very earliest stages of constitutional monarchy emerging out of absolute monarchy, right? Where you, you have a parliament that can have a sort of tug of war uh, with the king, but a lot of decisions are still ultimately made by the king, and kingship, or in this case, bossship, uh, is what uh, is what I object to here, right? So I think that um, of you know that when when you talk about why this is this extraction of value created by workers uh, by owners, um, why that's an unjust way of structuring a society. Uh, there are a couple of initial distinctions that are worth making uh, in in the first couple minutes, right? First, uh, I know this is not your line. In fact, this is one of the reasons I thought this would be an interesting debate. That you know, one of the ways that struck me that you have a more thoughtful way of making this critique is that you're not making the usual objection that oh, uh, capitalists deserve it because they take risks, uh, which of course uh, would be a little bit like saying that uh, a Soviet bureaucrat who stakes his career on a proposal to create some state enterprise uh, therefore uh, deserves uh, to, to control the you know, proceeds of it, or if it's privatized, he should be the one who owns it because he was taking a risk to his political career uh, to do so. Uh, and, of course, the main risk usually taken by capitalists, um, you know, it's not that, oh, if, they, if the business fails, uh, they'll be sold into slavery or they'll be shot, right? It's that uh, they will be reduced to the level of their employees, right? They will have to go work uh, for somebody else. Oftentimes, uh, the capitalist is actually taking less of a risk than ordinary workers, although it depends on circumstances, what money they might have had loaned to them, etc. Uh, but as a fundamental structural relation, there's no necessary reason why that would be the case. Um, it's also not the case that you have to say that capitalist employment relations are 100% involuntary in order to have the objection to exploitation. I think any reasonable account uh, of voluntariness is going to come on a spectrum, right? That you have different degrees of reasonable or unreasonable pressure 
you can apply to people. You have different things that might justify the application of that pressure. Um, that And so what we're saying is that the sort of financial pressure that this form of, uh, of social organization puts on people to submit themselves to the will of a boss uh, who, can, uh, who can then decide how they, what they create is divided up uh, isn't, you know, isn't justified, right? There could be justified forms of redistribution. Um, you know, in, in fact, we might not even entirely disagree on that, right? Given what it sounds like you think about the UBI, maybe I can ask you about that during the unstructured 20 minutes. Uh, but this is an unjustified form of redistribution because it's uh, purely an exercise uh, of structural power uh, within, uh, within within a business. It's not that there's some particular reason that the owner deserves it more than the worker. Uh, Lance, I know I've got about 30 seconds. 30 seconds. Uh, just, <laughs> just, to, uh, uh, just, to, just to wrap up, right, that, that last point, um, it's true that some owners under some circumstances do perform labor. The important point for understanding that is that profits are not a salary that they're giving themselves for performing that labor. They would get it whether they performed it or not. All right, 10 minutes back to you, Anthony. Okay, thank you. Um, if I go long, please just give me a one minute warning. Okay. Okay, so yeah, I just want to quickly touch, and it might not be that quickly, upon the word exploitation itself, because it's quite a slippery and ill-defined term, as you pointed it out. And I think it's really good to get clarity on this term because there's so much packed into it. First of all, even in general usage, there's at least three definitions of the word exploitation. I mean, one is just to one's greatest possible advantages. So uh, uh, Ben and I exploit our talents as... Uh, orators and writers okay no one has any problem with that and it can be used in the sense of to advertise or promote so if a band puts out a new album they might exploit their back catalog now that they've got their their new album it helps them sell their old records okay no one has any problems with these definitions but even in within the definition that people do have a problem with uh, there's it needs to be teased out because in this third usage uh, in which is to use a set situation to your selfish uh, advantage in an unfair way, um, it, it's used quite emotively and it's still slippery because people apply it to different kinds of economic relations, right? And in some situations that someone else exploiting someone else when they take something from them against their will. But we could call that stealing. And the second is to enter into some agreement on false pretenses. We we have another word for that, which is fraud. And the the third, sorry, and I just want to say that this the fact that there's several usages of the word, even in the nefarious sense, kind of blurs the lines, right? Now, the third, it's often used in economic relations to simply mean that someone is given the less beneficial end of uh, interaction that they already benefit from. So when someone takes a job with an employer, they, um, they're choosing to do that, uh, Ben would say, under some degree of coercion because they're, you know, it's their only realistic option. 
by their own judgment, they're better off taking the job than not taking the job. Now, in certain situations, their, limit, their options are extremely limited by structural factors. For example, there are certain countries in the world where you might need to wait six to 36 months to even get a license to open a business. And when you do, you never know if you have to write off the government's going to socialize the business or take it under control at any time. This makes it extremely difficult to start a business. And therefore, some multinationals can go in and get in bed with the, the government and get the right to open a business there in a very limited market where, where workers' options for seeking employment will be extraordinarily limited below the number of options that they would have um, in other circumstances. And you could make an argument that people are exploiting the labor in those, um, in, in, in those conditions. But I would say that to the, to the degree that we're debating whether um, workers are exploited by capitalists or under capitalism, let's say, to the degree the market it is a capitalist society, to the degree that the market is, re um, is restricted, it's some other kind of society, an interventionist society, a socialist society, a communist society, a fascist society, or some, some other form of society. So to the degree that it is a free market, I'm saying to the degree that it's a free market, capitalists are not exploiting workers. And I'm going to um, explain why. So just because someone gets the better end of a deal doesn't mean that both parties aren't benefiting. That's one reason. And there's also no guarantee that the worker is actually necessarily getting the less good end the deal. I mean, if you're a cafe and you meet your future spouse there, then wow, you sure got the better end of the deal by that job. We don't actually know the future. We don't know what we're going to get into anything. If you if you got a job and you learned some skills in that job and you learned how to run that business and then you you went out and started your own business, which did better than your boss's business, then you'd go, wow, gee, gee, I sure was lucky when I got that job. And then an economic downturn happens and your boss's business goes out of business. So it's not, necessar it's not necessarily the case that the labor force is getting the worst end of the deal. Um, and there, so the exploitation theory, especially from Marx, which I, th I think you, you agree with, is that the capitalist is just skimming something over the top. He's not really adding value. What he's doing is he's uh, employing people. It's the people who do all the labor and he's just expropriating their labor. You said that it's an unjust form of redistribution, right? I'm saying it's not actually redistribution because when you take a job, they're paying you to contribute your labor so that they can combine your labor with the other um, with other means, right? You're getting paid for your labor. You are not getting paid for the value of the product. The business is selling the product to consumers. They're paying the business for the value of the product. And most of those consumers are workers, right? The main beneficiaries of the market system is workers. And I can come, I, I can come back to why that is uh, in the future, but basically because markets put a downward pressure on the price of goods and an upward pressure on the, 
on the quality of goods, not because it's tooth and nail competition, although obviously competition is involved, are on the lookout for the best product at the best price. So because the capitalist is combining labor with the other factors of production, factories and, and, and machines have to be bought, he could have bought a yacht instead of buying that factory, right? Um, overheads have to be paid to operate and the capitalist is responsible for paying for the marketing and advertising, linking the product to potential buyers, um, securing suppliers, um, finding a way to find buyers. So he, so even if he, so even if he's paying people to fulfill these roles, he's he's using his expertise and bringing these people together to, uh, and he's taking these responsibilities off the hands of the workers, many of whom might not want to own a business. They might just want to switch off at the end of the day and not think about um, work anymore. So. So uh, in this and in the sense of the another problem with this argument that the, the capitalist is just skimming off the top, if that's all that exploitation is, then your definition of exploitation is completely banal, it's not paying value of products. It's completely unavoidable. Because even if it's a workers' cooperative, which I'm, you know. I have nothing against the idea of a workers' cooperative on a free market. I'm sure you've heard that argument before. Let many flowers bloom. I'm all for it. Um, but they'd still need other factors of production to combine with the labour, and the the labourers would not be getting the full value of their of their labour, whatever that means, right? Value to whom? The question is, what is the value to of your labour to your employer, right? What is he willing to pay for your labor? And if you don't like it, then hopefully you can get a better deal somewhere else or you can work that job and get more skills and then change to another job and get more skills there. Become more skillful so that your labor becomes more valuable. Some people have got so many job offers that uh, you know they're basically dictating the term of, terms of their job if they're extraordinarily skilled. Uh, One because, minute remaining. Oh man. Okay, I've got tons of other stuff to say, but I guess we'll come back to it later. So, um, let's see. Um, yeah, the, I'm not saying that risk isn't a factor, but yeah, the the, the only thing, the, a, a couple of a couple of other things is workers get paid in the here and now, whether the business makes a profit or not. Whereas the capitalist is getting paid after the fact, and only if he. Uh, manages to turn a profit with his plans. The job of the capitalist is to guess what consumers want. And consumers are largely a small percentage of consumable products are actually aimed at the rich. And so the luxury goods society make a very small portion of the economy. Most of the economy is at the behest of, is at the, the, the capitalist is a slave of consumers, which means that that's the, that's the fundamental okay, distinction between feudalism and capitalism a feudalist doesn't produce for the consumer thank you um can i just quickly say uh anthony uh you are um glitching out a bit it could be because you have the stream open or other stuff for browsers open might be your internet connection i'm not sure but uh, uh occasionally uh -huh. i just i'm saying this also just to give uh complete fairness because in in terms of your ability to get your point across some of your words are getting muddled with your your internet connection 
Right, thanks. I noticed that I seem to be glitching out as well, but I'm not really sure why that is. Okay. Um, uh, I guess we'll just carry on. If it gets to, if it gets really bad, I'll I could just tell you to turn off your your video. That might help. It would just be audio on your end, but we'll keep it going for now. Uh, so we're gonna start the five minute back and forth rebuttals. We'll start with you, Ben, with five minutes on the clock, starting now. Yeah. So. Um... The definition of exploitation that's relevant here certainly isn't um, to exploit your talents. It's certainly not getting the better end of a deal. Um, I think when you start talking about um, unfairness, that's uh, that's closer to the mark. Um, outright theft uh, and and fraud are certainly ways that uh, that transactions can be a lot less voluntary, but they aren't the only ways uh, that uh, that transactions can be less voluntary. Uh, because of course, uh, it's also the case uh, that most people uh, who who are born into the working class, which is most people, uh, have no realistic option most of the time except for to go to work uh, for someone else. Right? Uh, we just heard Anthony talk about how uh, if you don't like it, you can get a job somewhere else. Uh, and of course, uh, in certain kinds of labor markets, you can. Sometimes you can't. Uh, but even if they in an ideal sort of labor market where where you can, the problem is that if the thing that you don't like about it isn't the idiosyncrasies of that particular job, but the basic arrangement that you don't like uh, having to submit to the will of an unelected boss and having the owner uh, because that you know they were lucky enough to be in a position to have starter capital to start a business, be able to dictate uh, what's, uh, you know, what's going on, how you produce, what you produce, uh, and how the profits are divided, well, that's going to be the same deal everywhere even for skilled workers. By the way, skilled workers have more of an option about other things than that. Uh, but the idea that uh, the solution, if you don't like it, is just to get skills doesn't really work, not for any you know fancy Marxist reason, but just for Econ 101 reasons, uh, supply and demand, that if everybody uh, got uh, enhanced job skills, those job skills, um, there wouldn't suddenly be more skilled jobs for them to have, but uh, those skilled jobs would uh, would earn them less uh, way in the way of wages and bargaining power. Uh, if, uh, if everybody just went to college, uh, the uh, economic value of a college degree would plummet. If everybody learned to code, the uh, economic value of coding uh, would, uh, would plummet. Um, so uh, we heard that the risk of socialization makes it less likely uh, that people will start uh, small businesses, right? If there's a socialist government in power that's starting to implement uh, the sort of program uh, that I might like, uh, and there's, we also heard there's no do uh, because uh, that would mean that uh, that there would be this disincentive to start businesses, which means there'd be fewer businesses to go around, which means there'd be fewer possible employers to choose between. So you could argue that people are more exploited. We also heard that there's no exploitation to the degree that something is a free market. I would see some tension between these two points because if you have like a really purist libertarian free market, then you don't have statist stuff like limited liability uh, corporations, uh, for example, uh, and the not being able to be incorporated obviously uh, makes there be less economic growth, right? Uh, so, so, uh, so I would say, um, so, so I, again, I see some tension there. I would also point out that if the risk that we're worried about is that the business is going to start and be turned into a worker cooperative, then there's a real easy way of starting a business without taking that risk, which is just to start it as a worker cooperative. Uh, finally, uh, we, we heard the argument, uh, okay, 
two things, right? One, that worried that lots of workers might not want to own businesses. No problem. Uh, hand over the keys, the means of production, distribution, and exchange to them. And if they decide that they would rather uh, lose their newfound power and uh, hand that back to a boss, they can just, you know, they can just vote to terminate their ownership. That's the beauty of having uh, democratic control. Uh, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't bet on that happening, but I'd love to have the experiment. Finally, on this idea that there's no redistribution because um, that it's not uh, exploitation, right? Can't be unjust redistribution. It's not redistribution at all because the capitalist is combining your labor with other factors of production, um, and and then selling it. The capitalist is not uh, is not is not doing is not building the factory. The capitalist is not selling the goods. Lance, I know I have about thirty seconds left. Thirty uh, the, seconds. <laughs> the, uh, uh, a salesman uh, is uh, is you know who is a worker uh, is uh, is doing the selling. Another group of workers uh, built the factory. The capitalist uh, is a rent-seeking middleman between those two groups of uh, workers. I would also point out that managerial labor uh, is labor. That R and D trying to predict what the consumer would want is labor. Sure, some capitalists, sufficiently small firms, instead of hiring others to do these forms of labor for you. Uh, are going to do them themselves. I know I'm out of time, but just to finish the sentence, uh, that that doesn't, I would say that that no more means that the capitalists per se as a category because their structural role or contributing value than, you know, because that, you know, it's not that ownership and managership are kind of sort of the same thing any more than if a lawyer who's on sufficiently hard times cleans up his own office, that therefore being a lawyer and being a janitor are kind of sort of the same thing. Uh, okay, I'm gonna before I switch over to the next five minutes. Uh, one of the two of you has notifications or some app running because there's a like bops and bings and pop, things popping up during the stream. So uh, if you could close whatever that is. Uh, so yeah, Ben, if you could. Hold on. All right, no worries. Uh, okay, so five minutes to you, Anthony, starting now. Okay, so there's every reason to think that if the capitalist wasn't providing any value then lots of people would just go to the bank as a bunch of workers get a loan buy out their businesses and outperform the capitalist because what's the capitalist doing he's not providing any value if if people if worker cooperatives were as sorry i don't actually want to say that because um they they might be as efficient it might just it might just not if capitalists were providing no value at all, that 12% profit that they take, some companies that didn't have capitalists would come in and undercut them. They just get rid of the 12% profit uh, that the capitalists are making and undercut the price of goods. And then, and therefore they would, um, uh, therefore they would, they'd be able to make the product 12% cheaper or whatever it is. So that's one argument to consider. What I would say is, um, yeah, I'm fine with limited liability being removed. I I don't like it. I think that it's a way that the government does prejudice the market in favor of uh, capitalists, I suppose. I I wouldn't like to put it in those terms, but yeah, I don't think that they should be able to, they, they, they can get limited liability, Companies can get limited liability, but they'll have to go to a bank and negotiate a contract voluntarily for the bank to underwrite 
their business venture. I don't think that there's any reason to think that making people more cautious about what they invest in by not giving them limited liability will decrease economic growth. If anything, it'll increase economic growth because people will be damn sure that they want to go in business and risk their own assets instead of someone else's. Um, making stuff that people actually want rather than stuff that uh, turns out to be not useful, right? But I think that there's lots of things that I could say on many of the points that you made, but I think the fundamental issue is this idea that people are forced to work, right? People have always been forced to work. It's a condition of nature. If you're born into a forest and thousands of years ago, you're born with nothing. Nature is oppressing you. Nature is exploiting you because you need to pick berries and go out and build a house, right? The market economy is actually affording more freedom to people, not less freedom, because the machines and factories allow people more options and they gain far, far more than they would gain from their labor than if they were working on their own without those machines and factories or you know out in a field doing this sawing motion no one's going to pay you for that right uh, no one that i think where we differ is it's like i just think that if, you know you you say well this guy uh, what if you don't want to have a boss well i mean um, if you've not got some to corner people to have a boss until you do have to have something to contribute to other people um, of your own volition or to get through take no one owes you anything you get together with other people who have the same aims as you and and and, and different and complementary skills to you and you provide value to other people and in exchange from for providing value to other people they they can provide value to you um or, you know, you just ask for it or you go and join a monastery if you don't want to be part of the um, market economy. If anything, supposing you wanted to go off grid, uh, you wanted to opt out of the market economy and just get a bit of land somewhere that it's not going to be the capitalists who are coming after you. It's going to be the government to say that you have to pay land taxes. So it's so so you can actually just opt out of society um, to, to a degree that would be. Uh, maybe more possible on a free market by you know going out going out to the woods. So I, I don't really get the the idea of the the tension between you know saying you know in a country like some very very poor places in Africa where you can't get a license to start a business for eighteen to thirty six months uh, that that's uh, an intention with the idea of a more free market. The idea is the more employers there are, the more choices people have. You know, regulations aren't the only way to thirty to, seconds improve um people's working conditions if people can if people know as there would be in a free market far 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 more jobs they can't they the 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 employer is less likely to be authoritarian if he knows that you can just walk across the street and get a job anytime you want it because uh, he's now under pressure by the incentives of the market to treat his labor force better okay five minutes to you ben all righty um yeah good uh so i want to start off uh where i left off uh with my uh with my previous rebuttal and uh you know with the point about um you know when we say that capitalists are exploiting workers we say that no capitalist has ever contributed anything uh to uh to the value uh, of the products and i think one way to get a handle on that uh, is is not to to quote someone who I might like even better, like Karl Marx, 
uh, but to talk about the work of somebody who, um, you know, I think is, is going to be a less contentious figure, who's Adam Smith, uh, and talk about some of the reasons uh, why, uh, why Adam Smith uh, hated landlords so much and thought they were parasites. Uh, and uh, and that was uh, that was because they were receiving passive income uh, without generating anything uh, in exchange. And when you you make this Adam Smith esque point now, uh, one thing you frequently hear response is no 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 no. But like you know the landlord contributes. You know they they uh, there's the they have the building and they maintain the building. Uh, and of course uh, landlords uh, don't aren't generally out there with hard hats uh, building the building right. Once again, the, the landlord is a literally rent-seeking middleman uh, between construction workers and tenants. Um, and, of course, a landlord and a maintenance guy, you know, those are two different roles. Um, uh, now, some landlords, you know, if they don't own, you know, very many properties, right, they can't afford a maintenance guy or, you know, they just prefer to save the money, might do maintenance work themselves. But that doesn't actually make rent uh, the, um, a salary for those uh, those maintenance roles, right? They, uh, they, you know, if you had a tenants cooperative, uh, you know, the the maintenance guy there would just uh, would just be paid uh, paid out of that. Uh, you know what the uh, what the tenants uh, would be uh, would be pulling together. Uh, again, um, just because someone, you know, just because a capitalist in some cases, sometimes not always, right? Some capitalists build businesses, some capitalists inherit businesses. Some capitalists do some managerial work or R&D work themselves. Some capitalists hire other people for that. But in all cases, just as in the landlord case, that's not what the profits are for, right? The profits are not remuneration for doing any of those things. Uh, the, the profits are something that's just taken by the capitalists by virtue right. of their structural role uh, in, uh, in the business uh, that they, they have okay. to I'm sorry, I have uh, two minutes and 22 seconds, I think. All right, sorry, I didn't know we were going five minutes, five minutes, so please go ahead. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. so I'll just, I'll add 10 seconds. No problem. Sorry. Uh, so, uh, so the capitalist uh, is, uh, is taking that uh, by, by virtue uh, of having the role. So uh, what about the idea that there would be more co you know, worker cooperatives uh, if, uh, if capitalists were you know, providing value, that it weren't you know, worth it? To uh, to workers to uh, to have to submit to a capitalist uh, and take their wise direction rather than running the show for themselves. I think a more realistic explanation of uh, the lack of worker cooperatives uh, as a more major factor in capitalist economies certainly it's lacked to the point. We heard the argument that you know the more employers they are, the more choices you have. Well, of course, to have a real choice on this matter, you would have to have worker cooperatives be a big enough sector of the economy. Uh, that you know that you that most people would have a realistic choice without having to go live in a monastery, without having to go live in the woods, uh, between working in the cooperative sector where they would have a voice and a vote, and working in the regular capitalist sector uh, where they have neither. I think a more realistic explanation of why the cooperative sector tends to be so small in capitalist economies uh, is that there are some built-in structural disadvantages in competition uh, between the two. Most obviously. Uh, in access to starter capital. Sure, you can get uh, loans from banks, uh, although they often think that they're going to get more return for, you know, for loans through traditional businesses, uh, and they have some reason to think that. Uh, that uh, but, uh, but you certainly can't get investors like a regular capitalist firm would, right, who are, who are repaid with ongoing ownership shares 
uh, because that would defeat the point. On the other hand, if we had nationalized banks that preferentially gave out loans to worker cooperatives, uh, I know got about 30 seconds left, uh, we, could, um, we could correct uh, that situation. Uh, finally, on the idea that we're not forced to work by, uh, by capital, we're forced to work by nature, there is an important sense that that's true. Maybe we can get into it during the unstructured uh, period. I think there's also a sense in which it's not true. Again, we can get into it. But the last point that I would make to wrap up this second rebuttal uh, is that uh, there's a that we um, that there's a distinction between being having no realistic choice but to work and having no realistic choice but to work for an unelected boss uh, who is then going okay. to decide how to distribute the surplus. And that strikes me as a crucial distinction. Okay. okay. Five, five minutes to you, Anthony. Sure. And I, I'm really not uh, sure. I think uh, that's, that's a fair distinction, but I think fundamentally, I'm not seeing where people have the entitlement to work for someone other than a boss. I mean, it's something that you need to carve out for yourself and your life. Uh, with you know, with the, with the help of others, exchanging value for value. Now, I think the fundamental disagreement is over whether this, um, yeah, I, I, over what profits actually are. A profit, the the cap. You said, well, that you're know, making lightning like that. That's not what you're contracting for. You're contracting to make sure that the light fixtures get fixed. It's up to the landlord to figure out how to do that. That's what you're paying him for. Now, I definitely, and I've written extensively about how government intervention in the housing market has pushed the prices of houses through the roof and how this is bad for people on the lower end of the economic ladder. This is a perfect example of how... Um, the market economy is biased in favor of, you know, the owning class, although I don't like to, to use those terms, by the government, right? And uh, in this country, something like the, the house prices have gone up seven or eight times since the beginning of the 80s, right? And I've, I've written extensively about why that is in my book, Universal Basic Income for. I think socialists do not want, I don't use that term disparagingly, to make the distinction between between we like libertarians are very it's very important to ask the difference between a market from selling products to consumers on the market he is demonstrating that he had a plan which um combined, combined the forces combined the factors of production to make them more valuable than they were before he combined them that's what he's getting paid for he's getting paid by the consumer and he's voted rich on a, by a daily plebiscite of the consumer every day most of whom are workers if they don't want him to be rich anymore then they stop buying his products now i accept that under the crony capitalist system that we have, there's plenty of people who wouldn't be as rich and wealthy as they are if it weren't for special favours, government contracts, and so what have you. But that's again the distinction between a market entrepreneur and uh, a, and a political entrepreneur. And and I think that's I think although we draw those lines, I think it's really important to draw those lines. It seems that that's essentially unimportant to socialists in, in terms of who's exploiting who. They're all exploiters, whether or not 
they sell their products voluntarily for a profit or they're rent seekers from the government. Um, and I, I think that that's a critical point. I don't I don't think it can be overlooked as trivial. Uh, um, are, are you for going yeah. the rest of your time or do you, do you want me to, you still have about a minute and 45 seconds? Well, I mean, I can just say a, a few things of the, the other the other ways that capitalists uh, provide value. I've said they they don't get paid unless it's profitable while the workers get paid in the here and now. They are, or at least should be, ultimately responsible in case of lit litigation against the company, um, not the workers. Um, you know, in taking lo out loans to pay for projects to the extent we have a free market and money, he's creating an interest rate that's favorable to savers who are everyone who are workers, right? And um, yeah, I just don't, I don't agree that he's making workers wor worse off fundamentally. I think he's making workers better off. On a free market, uh, there would be so many more jobs that what you do is you get a job, you get some skills, and when you've learned, if you're wise, when you've learned everything that that job can teach you, you switch job to another job and learn all the skills there. And you just keep on doing that until you can make what you want of yourself. Um, you know, I just believe that humans should exchange value for value. Where we dis disagree is the is the point that um, Ben doesn't think seconds. that Ben doesn't think that capitalists are providing value. Um, he says that there's no worker cooperatives because of structural reasons. That might be to a degree true. I think it's more because of a socialist program called public education, where you're subjected to 11 to 13 years of an authoritarian structure, uh, and you're not taught any skills, so you can't use to trade in a free market. Plus, the evidence on how people best learn is that they learn in a cooperative learning environment, not a competitive one. So maybe if we put kids through the schools they deserve, then we'd have more worker-run workplaces. Okay, so I'm going to start the uh, the 20 minutes of back and forth. So I think I'll only interrupt you, gentlemen, if you start talking too much uh, above you, uh, sorry, on top of one another. But this is basically just going to be free form. So go back and forth. Uh, this is the blood sports section of the debate. So um, have at her. Uh, I'm also going to, uh, any questions chat that you have uh, for either the debaters, just at me in the chat. And then uh, I'll pick a few of them to also ask uh, each of them. Uh, and yes, please specify if you want it to be asked of Anthony or Ben. So 20 minutes is starting now. Uh, yeah, enjoy. All right, uh, Anthony. Uh, just uh, you. I think you mentioned basic income in your book on it a couple times. Just uh, just to just to kick us off here for the, for this section. Uh, I take it that you're that uh, it's basic income for or against, right? I take it you're for. Yeah. Okay. I'm actually I'm actually against, but I've been told that the book is very fair to the arguments for, and I try to include every argument in favor that I could I could come across before appraising them. But more importantly than that, I do say that um, I do offer an alternative. But more importantly than that, I say like here's some other policies that would that would make the universal basic income more workable so that if that is the position you take, you might want to pair it along with these um, these other uh, the, these other things. So people can explore that for themselves. And if you would care to find the time to review it, I'd be extraordinarily grateful, Ben. I will take a look. Uh, it's a oh, short book. Okay, fair enough. So you're, uh, okay, so you're against, but you think that there are some forms of it that wouldn't be that bad. Um, I would say that there's 
there's some there's some ways in which universal basic income is better than the system that we have, and there's various ways that it would turn out worse. Okay, but the but it would be best of all if we just had a had a uh, pure free market with with neither UBI nor any other redistributive program. Well, I mean, uh, in an ideal world, but put it this way: if I was going after straight state programs to abolish, I wouldn't be starting with the welfare state. I think that there's other policies that would need to be implemented way before that um, to give a soft landing and allow the creation of grassroots bomb up organizations to take on the role that welfare programs currently play that I believe would do a much better job than the government does. All right. Uh, you can find out more about that in the book, by the way. That That is an extremely fair answer. So uh, I, I guess I'm, I'm also, and, and you can, you know, you could ask, uh, you could ask me questions also, but, uh, but just to try to get a little bit better of a handle on where you're coming from, uh, you, uh, you said in your discussion of uh, of crony capitalism, your last rebuttal, you talked about the distinction uh, between a uh, between market entrepreneurs uh, and and political entrepreneurs. So, so at least the way that that I read that, what it sounded like to me, tell me if this is an accurate summary of your position, is that uh, you can have exploitation. In the sense of unfair exchanges, you know that that like employment contracts could be unfair if the employers are being in some in some way propped up by the state. But if that's not the case, then then there's no complaint. Well, I I personally don't think that the term exploitation is a clarifying word because of all the different definitions of it. But say you can you can define a word as anything. You can call it barternishnish and say that that's bad, right? I think going to the surplus value argument gives us the clearest idea, which is basically the idea that skimming something off the top is exploitative. In the case of as I've said, in a worker cooperative, even in a worker cooperative, that people are going to have to make decisions on how much uh, the, the workers aren't going to get paid the full value of their labor. And I go back to again, I don't mean to be um, facetious, but I'm like, whatever that means, right? What is the full value of their labor? There is that's a completely arbitrary idea, right? It's like if if I've got a car and I move to Manhattan. I don't want the car because it's more of a pain in the ass to me to have a car than not have a car. I would be willing to give it away, but I don't need to give it away because someone's going to give me $15,000 for it. So I put it up in Craigslist and I find out that someone's going to give me $18,000 for it. Lucky me, okay? Right. You get what your skills are worth to the economy, and that is a direct reflection of what is needed by consumers, right? There are signals telling people, like you said, if there's millions of coders, those coders are going to find have to find something else to do um, or a really niche thing. It, but the fact that coders get paid tons of money as an indication that, hey, you know, we want more coders. Come on, like, give us some of that, right? Some things are very cheap, like bread. But if there was a shortage of it, suddenly people will pay five bucks for a loaf of bread. 
to encourage that's the market signal to say hey you know we consumers who are mostly workers want more bread i think it's a it's it's a phenomenally sophisticated system and it's it's amazing that it arises spontaneously when i talk about political entrepreneurs what i'm talking about is as soon as you can get more money for you for you on a free market you gain your revenue of which profit is usually only a small percentage for cafes and restaurants it's sometimes only three or four percent right you gain your revenue from serving the customer voluntarily now as soon as you have a government who is able to grant special favors to lobbyists you create a massive incentive for corporations to fill themselves with lobbyists to um, bias the market to make sure more of their units get sold not out of the voluntary choice of the consumer but because they are selling to the government or because you're only allowed to operate in the, this market under these circumstances uh, i'm against patents and intellectual property uh, like you said i'm against the government granting limited liability to, to companies i think they should have to go to a bank and negotiate for limited liability all of these all of these ways in which the government skews the market in fa in favor of some entrepreneurs rather than making the consumer the ultimate arbiter of who profits and who loss who does not profit or who gains revenue and who doesn't rather yeah i consider yeah. all of that to be political entrepreneurship and under my and under my definition of exploitation, all of that's exploitative and wasteful as well, because those companies have to pay people to lobby and to pay lawyers to comply with regulations when they should actually be paying people to make stuff that people want, not to game the system. Yeah, so, um, so I, oh, I'd, I'd say a couple things about that. Uh, first of all, uh, just just as a small reading recommendation, uh, you're criticizing the the slogan that uh, workers should have the full value of their labor uh, and saying that it's uh, it's ill-defined. Uh, and uh, you know what historical figure would entirely agree with you there? Uh, that would be Karl Marx. If you read the first chapter of the uh, critique of the Gotha program, uh, which is um, available for free at marxist.org, uh, you can see that in the faction fight that was happening uh, in the German socialist movement uh, in the late 19th century between the Marxist faction and the Lasallian faction, uh, the uh, the Lasallians, you know, in putting forward this program when the two factions were trying to unite, um, one of the things they said there was workers should get the full value of their labor, and Marx extensively criticizes that uh, for reasons that overlap with some of what you said, that... Uh, that um, even uh, even in even given cooperative ownership, um, which you know I think Marx is assuming a uh, a marketless uh, you know version you know version of planning, but the same point applies you know market socialism, some combination, whatever, right? You know that even even with cooperative ownership, um, you you would need uh, for it to be the case. First of all, he talks about problems with determining that on a worker by worker basis. Uh, you know what? Uh, you know what the what the full value would be, uh, and secondly, he says that even collectively, right? You're not going to get the uh, the full value. You know, uh, paid back to workers in you know, a form of uh, 
of, of wages or in his, his view, the goods, you know, they could take from the common store uh, because some of, some of it has to go towards maintaining um, uh, to, uh, to maintaining the machinery, you know, buy new machinery for, you know, uh, the fact, you know, factors of production, uh, setting things aside for, uh, for common collective needs uh, like, uh, like, like schools and hospitals uh, of course, I'm sure you'd say those things should be private, but uh, you know, but I mean, that's obviously not his view. We right? can discuss that maybe in another show. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, but um, yeah, I'd, I'd like to do that. But uh, but then, um, so so he so so Marx would agree with you, and I would agree with you, right? Uh, that uh, that the, that the question is not whether uh, workers should have the full value uh, of of what they produce. The question is: In what cases is it legitimate uh, for part of the value uh, that's that's produced uh, that's produced by workers to uh, to go to uh, to non-workers, um, and uh, and and in what cases uh, is uh, is that illegitimate? Uh, and again, one of the one of the points I was making uh, before that that I really re-emphasize now uh, is that it's not going to be you know the the question doesn't hinge on whether any capitalist ever contributes anything to uh, to the value. Yes. Uh, yes. You, sorry. So, so ju just to clarify that I get your point, you're saying, right, to the degree that an employer works in the business, he's not an employer. To the degree that a landlord contributes labor to fixing up the plant, he's not a landlord. He is a landlord to the degree he's getting remunerated in rent that he's not laboring or the capitalist is getting remunerated in profit as he doesn't labor, but for his ownership in the business. I or, actually said it less clearly than you did. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. Or, 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 or like a, or a different way to get at the same point, right. Is that to, um, is to notice that, um, that a landlord, uh, who, um, who, do, who has, you know, is getting the same rent every month, whether it's the case that, uh, that there are any, um, that there, you know, there are any sinks uh, that need to uh, that that need to be, you know, the faucets that need to be fixed uh, or not, right? Uh, that they that, in other words, uh, there isn't, you know, the the rent isn't a payment for doing those things, right? The uh, uh, you know the rent uh, is something that's extracted by virtue of the landlord's uh, ownership of of housing and and therefore their ability to decide who gets right. to, live, you know, uh, you know. Set set the terms for who gets to live there. And similarly, you know, if some capitalists personally do R and D work, some capitalists personally do managerial work, etc. If the owner of a corner pizza shop, right, uh, you know, who who has a bunch of employees, uh, still you know still put some pizza in the oven themselves, uh, that that doesn't convert the profits that they're getting into a salary for doing those things. And one way to see that point, right, why why that's not the you know the case. Uh, is that in the scenario where you completely cut out the landlord through a tenant cooperative uh, or you know, public housing, whatever, or, uh, or in a workplace where you completely cut out uh, the capitalists, you know, by, for example, uh, turning it into uh, a worker cooperative, uh, those, you know, you would still get all of those, all of those functions, right, being performed, and the person who's performing the functions wouldn't get the chunk of the uh, of the revenue of the business that the that the capitalist is getting by virtue of uh, of being um, 
of being a capitalist uh, because because that's not something that like they would be able to just convince people uh, just to pay them for performing those those tasks, right? That's something they can pay themselves by virtue of their structural role within the firm. Um, right, sorry, okay. inter- sorry to interrupt. We have about six minutes left in this, and I do have some audience questions. Did you guys want to? Oh yeah, let's just do keep- the audience. Let's do the audience questions, man. Okay. All right. Um, so this one is to you, Anthony. In your ideal system, what would supplant public education? Um, that's not a question that I can give an answer to in the short, but lots of things. Basically, I think the main problem with government programs like public education is it's one size fits all. It doesn't have the trial and error that we see. If you look at how much the smartphone has come up, even in a market that's highly protected by intellectual property, the phones get better every year. The same would go for the schools in a free market. They could be provided extremely inexpensively, especially if you have uh, structures where students teach other students and um, because they, you know, they're they're um, they learn from teaching other students and so forth. So yeah, there would be super cheap skills that were super good for very poor people and would teach them tons of skills so that they wouldn't, um, so that they would be their own master when they emerge into the market to sell their labor or to start their own business. Uh, to Ben Burgess, uh, your thoughts on the Nordic model and implementing those systems in other countries? Yeah. Uh, so, so when we talk about about the Nordic model, uh, it's uh, I mean I think I think one one important thing to say is is that there is a lot of variation, right? For example, on the issue that we just heard about, right? uh, Sweden has a voucher system which has been almost universally agreed to be a disaster. Uh, Finland actually doesn't even have legal private schools, and they have uh, what's widely regarded as the best education system uh, in the world. Uh, and and so I, I think it is important to remember that these sometimes people talk about these countries as if there were a Scandinavian hive mind that just agreed with everything, you know, everything because of, of culture, right? Of course, these countries have left-wing parties and right-wing parties that sometimes win elections like any democracy. And so you do have a lot of policy variant, but they are important from my perspective because a lot of them have successfully beta tested a lot of the reforms that I would advocate uh, for a very, uh, for a very long time, right? You know, like you don't have a lot of support in any of those places, for example, for, uh, for privatizing all the uh, the public uh, public hospitals uh, because that system serves people extremely well. Uh, so I absolutely do think that the successes of a lot of those Nordic countries do show uh, that we could and should implement similar things in the United States. I don't think it's sufficient, though, just to have the Nordic model. And real quickly, so we can get to the question, uh, I'd say that the two re- there are two reasons for that, one ideological and one pragmatic. Uh, the ideological reason is the subject of this debate today, right? That uh, that even in the society, most people, even in the Nordic societies, most people have no realistic choice except for to work for regular capitalist employers, right? Uh, even the public sector, much less the cooperative sector, is a very small uh, part of the economy for all the reasons that we've been talking about. Uh, so, you know, so that's the ideological reason, right? You know, that I think people should get to have democracy in their workplace and get to decide how to how to divide up the revenues and all those things. And then the pragmatic reason is that I think as long, and this really gets to the point about crony capitalism, right? Go back to Adam Smith. Adam Smith was complaining about crony capitalism uh, hundreds of years ago. Uh, this is not a, a bug. It's a, it's a persistent built-in feature of the system uh, because as long as you have concentrations of economic power, those are going to find ways to translate themselves into concentrations of political power. And that means that as much as you roll that boulder up the hill, 
of implementing these reforms within capitalism, you're always going to have this extremely powerful group with vested interest in ruling it back down the hill. So ultimately, you need to start taking pieces off the board by democratizing the economy itself. That's my view. Uh, question for Anthony. Um, can you talk about the salaries of CEOs? In some cases, they'll make 300 times their employees and they have they do, they do lack the technical specialties that generate the profits for the technology companies. Why should they make so much more than everyone in the company when they don't even have the technical specialties or ideas? Isn't that exploitation? Um, okay, first of all, the people who command that much money are actually quite small. Um, the, the average CEO salary is something like less than an orthodontist's salary. And when people do get them, they tend to only get them for about four to seven years. Um, and then they get someone younger in to replace them. However, they're not exploiting people because th there's basically a bunch of companies bidding up their wage, trying to get those people on board. And the reason why they can command 300 million is because they're going to make decisions that are going to make the company more than $300 million. In other words, they're finding opportunities to salary all the other people who are working for that company. Um, you know, I'd love to make 300. Do all of them deserve it? I don't know. There may be some some situations when when, when they don't, but at least to the degree that you've got a free market, there, no one is going to want to pay a CEO 300 million when they can pay them 30 million or 3 million, right? So if, if they had the opportunity, they would pay them less. They're worth it because they're getting paid for it most of the time. One thing I would say is it would be great to have a society in which there were more people that were just as skilled as they were. And by the laws of su supply and demand, there would be a lot less people making that much money, but there would also be a lot more innovative people who have the vision to... Um, create those sort of revenues for companies that those CEOs are being paid for. Okay, so uh, we're out of time on the open format. We're going to do the last two five-minute rebuttals. Uh, I guess we'll start with you, Ben. Great. Uh, sorry, this is the closing statements, by the way. Yeah, so five minutes oh. on the clock. Yeah. Sounds good. All right. Uh, so I think, um, you know, first of all, uh, I do want to address the idea uh, public education. Uh, has something to do with uh, with why there are so few uh, co-ops, uh, and uh, and that's going to tie into a larger set of ideas because I think uh, if we want to test something like that, what we you know what we want to do is compare situations in which uh, there was universal public education to when there wasn't, uh, and uh, and when when there wasn't right in uh, you know whether in, in Scotland or the U.S. Uh, that. Um, that you know there weren't more uh, worker-owned uh, factories. Uh, rather, uh, there were factories where uh, children themselves were working, and the rate of exploitation uh, was uh, was considerably higher. Um, I uh, I think that um, the idea that um, that you know that CEOs uh, you know must be worth that much. Uh, or uh, or else they're they're not paid it right. It's it's important to remember the you know, the average. I think it depends on what you mean. Uh, the the mode right. The most common CEO right uh, probably does. Uh, I wouldn't doubt that right. You know, make about like what a uh, what an orthodontist does. But the mean salary of CEOs, according to Marxist rag uh, CNBC uh, article that I'm looking at right now uh, in 2016. Um, uh, so, uh, sorry, it's 2018. They said 271 times. Um, 
you know, I'm, uh, I, I'm realizing it's a huge mistake to try to look at this as I talk, but, uh, but I have, uh, but at any rate, uh, it's many, many times, right? Whatever the current rate is, it's many, many times the salary of average workers. And I'm deeply skeptical, even if we are talking only about the largest firms, right? I don't know. I'd have to see the worker, you know, the numbers broken down. I'm, uh, I'm deeply skeptical of the idea that anybody uh, is uh, is actually you know contributing hundreds of uh, of times more, and particularly that you couldn't have uh, you couldn't have elective you know uh, elective executives who are elected by workers democratically accountable to them, as in cooperatives like the Mondragon Corporation in Spain, um, who uh, who still uh, who still produced whatever managerial benefit uh, they're producing uh, for the firm. In fact, I think the evidence looks pretty good there. Um, I want to talk about uh, one of the um, one of the most uh, interesting things that that Anthony said to tie a lot together, right? Uh, is uh, is that we're uh, we're not forced to work by by capital. We're forced to work by nature. Of course, we already talked about the distinction between um, being uh, between being forced to work and being forced to work for a boss, which I think is an extremely important uh, distinction in terms of degree of meaningful human freedom, uh, but. It's also worth noting, right, of course, there is a sense in which, and I think this probably does get to some extremely deep ideological uh, divides, uh, divides between them. I think that there are such things as positive uh, social rights. Uh, I, think that, I think that it's reasonable for people to demand a society that's, that's better off uh, for, uh, for those at the bottom. And of course, there is a sense in which it would be best uh, if, uh, if we didn't even have to do that, right? And of course, many people who are not Marxists, who are like Silicon Valley entrepreneurs, uh, are you know uh, dabble in futurism and tell us that there might be a time in the future uh, when um, when it, it is you know would be technologically no longer necessary for most people to work, which takes us back to the UBI, uh, because if that that comes about, right? You know, the the robots come for all the jobs, and right, whether or not that happens, that's a complicated empirical discussion, but if that did happen, it would matter tremendously whether the machines were collectively owned, meaning that we could all benefit um, from, uh, you know, from the, uh, from the goods that were produced, uh, produced by them. Uh, and that would give you roughly what Aaron Bastani calls fully automated luxury communism, uh, or whether they remain in private hands and, and a few people benefit from them and the rest of us can maybe hope for the late Roman bread ration uh, of, uh, of a UBI. Um, Finally, it's important to know, it talks about capitalism and, you know, arising spontaneously. Capitalism didn't arise spontaneously. Look at the history of, uh, of Great Britain, the country that, uh, that you're in right now, uh, and, uh, and look at the enclosures uh, which were necessary to get capitalism going, to, uh, to force people off their land so they would have no choice except for to work at factories. Look at the global version of that that played out during the early centuries of capitalism due to colonialism. Uh, slavery, dispossession of the Native Americans in this country, the point of rattling off all these horrors, I know I'm out of time, but just to, just to finish, wrap up the thought, the point of rattling off all these horrors isn't that I think Antony agrees with those or would advocate them in his ideal free market utopia. I'm quite certain that he would not. Rather, it's to point out that it's not a coincidence that these things happened uh, and then led to, uh, to the rise, uh, rise of capitalism. Uh, because most people, given a realistic, reasonable choice, would not opt for these power relations. Uh, this is something that has to, that is historically and imposed on people by social conditions.
Right, All okay. Right. Five minute closing so, to you, Anthony. First of all, uh, with, with due respect, saying Anthony's you know, free market utopia is quite um, rhetorical. And uh, that's kind of like not necessary because I don't think that utopia exists on earth, only in the human mind, right? We're talking about what systems would maybe advance humanity or mitigate human suffering. Now, when you blame things like the enclosure movement on capitalism as many people on the left do i mean chapters 24 and 25 of das kapital um karl marx goes on about colonialism and imperialism all things that libertarians uh, agree with the leftists and disagreeing with and he blames them on capitalism but these are state actions and we define uh, i mean capitalism was coined as a pejorative term but since the, there's since if we just say, well, we don't believe in capitalism, we went, uh, believe in free markets, everyone will go, oh, you mean capitalism? Anyway, things happened. They were not capitalist acts. And it's really funny how often statists, people who are for big government and states, accuse us of um, being associated with these things like enclosure movements, imperialism, and colonialism, when it's them, the statists who believe in the existence of state power, um, the institution that they favor who carried out these actions. Okay, now, now I know some Marxists are ultimately anarchists, so I don't, I'm just saying um, that as a point, right? Two things, two other uh, rhetorical points. One is the mechanization point that I, de I deal with that at length in my book. I thoroughly recommend it. And I also debated Martin Ford, um, author of Rise of the Machines, on the point in mechaniz mechanization. Check that out on YouTube, right? The misperception is that the owner of the machines uh, is the only one who benefits from it. No, everything that we Everything is cheaper than it was 30, 40, 50 years ago, except for those things which are provided with, by government or with lots of government involvement. Uh, you could not get a, a, if you bought a TV for $100 uh, 30, 40 years ago, it wouldn't be a flat screen TV, I'll tell you that, right? Um, the beneficiaries of the machines are the consumers uh, it's, it, who get better products at cheaper prices to the degree you have a free market. Similarly, you said, before we had public education, kids were working in factories, right? No shit. Poverty, uh, the, the whole society was really, really fucking poor in those days. Uh, all the wealth that had been created hadn't been created yet. So it's kind of very frustrated frustrating when people say you free marketeers want to go to victorian times what you mean before capitalism built all the fucking wealth that we enjoy you know if you go to countries that are really poor guess what children still work and if the government comes in and says well we're going to ban child labor then they're going into begging prostitution um and all sorts of even worse things than working in a factory because the they, they haven't created the wealth yet the economy hasn't developed yet and 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 the the kids stopped working when there was enough wealth to take them out of um the to take them out of the factories and put them in schools because parents didn't really like sending their kids to 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 work in factories right so um, yeah, there, there, there's lots of luxuries that we enjoy today. Even the fact, I mean, we the average the average number of working hours being 41 
hours rather than 61. I'm sure Ben would say that's due to labor movements and things like that. Ultimately, it doesn't matter how advanced the labor movement is. If the economy is not rich enough to sustain you working 41 or 37 hours a week, you're going to be fucking working 61 hours a week. Because there's no magic wand or law that can... Sorry to get... Uh, hopefully no one minds me getting passionate in my conclusion. But I think we can only come back to the fundamental disagreement, which is over this idea of being forced. Um, you say that the, 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 the workers are good enough forced into this position. Uh, I think that that's, this, is, this comes down to an analysis of the, the judgment of society. I don't think they're being forced. And fundamentally, I think that the capitalists are entitled to the money to the degree that people voluntarily put their hands in their pocket and give it to the capitalists in the same way that the worker is um, entitled to his wage or however he gains his, his subsistence to the degree that someone voluntarily puts and gives it to them either because they want to give it to them or because they think that they're exchanging something in which both parties benefit. Like if I um, trade a pen for a tie with Ben, he prefers the pen and I prefer the tie, we're both better off. Same goes uh, to the degree we have a free market with all voluntary exchanges. All right, gentlemen, thank you so much. That will conclude our current debate debate. Uh, do you both want to give uh, yourselves a little shout out and uh, plug uh, any of your socials or stuff like that? Sure. Uh, thank you very much, Ben. Um, I really enjoyed the debate. You helped me clarify a couple of points. You helped me get down to the matter, which is I think there's two main reason, main things we degree, disagree on. One is the... Um, forced thing the other one is what actually are capitalists being paid for and i think that's something i can think of most and maybe third we disagreed on the exploitation thing even though there is a little bit more agreement there please anthony samroff you can come and speak to me on facebook if you agree if you disagree um a scottish liberty podcast can be found on youtube but most people listen to it on itunes if you'd like if you'd like to listen more um my book, Universal Basic Income For and Against, thoroughly recommended. Uh, I think, especially if you're coming from a left-wing perspective, it's an awesome uh, introduction to libertarian ideas. So even if you disagree with us, you'll know where we're coming from better. And uh, I'm just, I'd just like to let you guys know, I am actually writing a book on Marxism, and I don't think that Marx was a stupid person. He um, said a lot of things that I, uh, I at least find plausible. Uh, or I could see why someone would say it that way. Uh, I could see why someone would see things that way, uh, even when I disagree with them. I think his economics is completely garbled and dreadful, but that's, uh, that's another point. Just once more, thank you to everyone for listening. And uh, thank you very much, Ben, for such a stimulating and reasonable debate. I enjoyed exchanging ideas with you. All right. Uh, yeah, uh, I enjoyed it also. I'm, I'm uh... Uh, itching to respond to stuff, but of course this is why we need a time limit and all that, because uh, because uh, it could easily go on for another. Obey the hours. rules, Ben. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, I, I'm glad it's time limited because I don't want Ben to come in and smash me on my <laughs> closing statement. Anyway, um, but uh, but no, that was fun. I'm glad that we did that. Um, you know, let's 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 definitely do another one of these sometime. Uh, 
you know, I, I think uh, there were a couple of topics that were mentioned uh, uh, in passing uh, during the uh, the debate today that would be excellent for that. There's also an extremely timely one that came up on Twitter, uh, which is um, which 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 has to do with uh, with with how uh, police departments should be controlled and funded. Um, don't get much more timely than that right now. But um, but in any case, maybe we can do one of those at a future date. But uh, meanwhile. Um, yeah, I'm at Ben Burgess, uh, B-U-R-G-I-S, on, uh, on Twitter. Um, and, uh, and you can, of course, see me, uh, Jacobin, Dead Pundits, Michael Brooks Show. And uh, if, you, if, you like, uh, if you like what I do and you were inspired by Anthony's wise comments about uh, putting your dollars uh, to the things that you support, uh, you can also uh, check out my Patreon, patreon.com slash Ben Burgess, uh, and get a couple of essays there a week and my profound gratitude. So thank you all. Uh, thank you so much. Gentlemen. Yeah. I just like to thank you once more for giving me the platform because, um, I don't get to speak to left wingers as often as I'd like to, um, the audience of the shows that I usually speak to are libertarian and, uh, I'd rather speak to people who disagrees with me. So I get out of the echo chamber a little bit. So thank yeah, you so much big, for the big respect to that and, and for coming into the lion's den. Absolutely. It was a great pleasure and an honor to be invited. <laughs> All right. Cheers, gentlemen. Cheers. Uh, I'm going to bring on uh, Ben of the Burgess, I think, right now. Let me see uh, if he's here. Not for post-debate, but uh, I want him to help train me. Uh Hey, Chad, how's it going? Uh, I hope you're doing well. I missed you. It's good to see all y'all. Hey, uh, hey, all you lovely cuties and, and, and uh, spineless invertebrates and, and some of you with spines. One day you'll evolve to, to move past your spine, of course, and become immortal in the process. Um, that was all right. Yeah, no, I thought I thought it was good. Uh, give me a second to use the restroom. I'm all yours. Okay. I'll... One sec. I'll do the same. Give me five minutes. Um, but yeah, no, I thought it was good. I um, I obviously I can't uh, I can't have uh, what is it uh, a horse in that race, so I have to kind of stay impartial. Um, but boy, is there a lot of moments where I just sit there being like, mm, I really want to say this because uh, I, I I know exactly what to, to respond with. Hey, would you be able to do a call in of sorts sometime? Uh, I can't do it right now. I'm sorry. I've got uh, I've got Ben coming on. Um, but uh, post in the Reddit or uh, email me at wearesurfs.com uh, and then I can talk to you there. Um, you should uh, be able to make faces like he did. Yeah, I know, right, J100? Hey, if anyone was part of the raid yesterday, J100 was at the protests. Uh, and if you haven't seen his footage, check out him in Cleveland like two days ago. It's like, it's bonkers he's like straight up kicking gas canisters back at the cops and everything i was like i just i was it was, it was some some exciting heroin stuff um so i want to talk to i want to talk to j100 next week about that kind of stuff uh thanks no drift um and yeah so i'm gonna i'm gonna have ben burgess come on the show in about five minutes uh yeah j100 is not afraid of anything ben burgess is gonna prep me for my debate with tree of logic tomorrow uh, that's going to be spice. That's that's going to be all spice. Uh, we're debating a topic I don't even like talking about too much.